Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome. We are in week two of a series called Forgotten Virtues. Apparently, the apocalypse is coming if we don't discover these. Actually, the apocalypse already happened because we didn't. I don't know what that video. Anyway, um, I feel a little bit Book of Eli. You know what I mean? I just watched I Am Legend yesterday. I'm a little on nerves seeing that video. Like, it's all, it's all over now. Um, the way the world looks right now, it looks like, man, we could be on the brink. So anyway, the world looks a little bit crazy right now. And, and I felt like this series, we, 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 we actually had something else on the books. And, and, and as I talked to other people, we just were hashing through some of these ideas. And, and we stumbled upon this idea. And I think we divinely stumbled upon this idea. And, and the idea is that there are certain virtues that are not American virtues inherently. They're actually Christian virtues or biblical virtues, godly divine virtues that we used to have in our system. They used to be a part of the, the DNA and the culture and it used to be in the water. And there are things in life that we used to have that we have completely forgotten, completely abandoned. Some young people don't even know like, what? That's a thing. I didn't even know that was a thing. And there are these forgotten virtues that we have. Last week, we talked about honor. Like honor, this is so huge. If, if, if you missed last week, this could be the most culturally relevant message that, that you could possibly listen to right now. Given the amount of of cultural division and racial division and religious division and political division and all the nastiness that surrounds the world that we live in, if we could somehow figure out that honor wasn't about whether they deserved it or not, but honor was about us and our relationship with God, and we don't give honor because of them, we give honor because of God. And I'm, t- I'm telling you what, if you could go listen to that sermon, I would beg you to please go and listen to that. And, you know, I had a woman actually come up and she asked me something after service last week, and it was really kind of a profound moment. And she said, she said, Todd, how in the world do I, because I get you're honoring me and I feel a bit convicted, but how do I honor? And then she, she actually filled in a, p- p- a political uh, person. And so I, I won't tell you who she said, but uh, it don't really matter. You know, you fill in the blank. Somebody hates them. And so, you know, you fill in Donald, Hillary, whatever. It don't even matter. Somebody hates their guts. And so, you know, she's like, how do I honor them? And I'm like, okay, well, like honor in the Bible. We're not, we're not talking about like throw a ceremony and give them an award. That, that's, not, that's not the honor we're talking about. The biblical virtue of honor is to give worth and dignity because God has given them worth and dignity because they are made in his image and likeness. And so I was like, the idea is probably not that you need to go and, you know, host a dinner. You know, but many times in life, you don't know, you don't know Donald, you you don't know Hillary. So it's not that you need to go honor them. What you do is you live a life where you don't dishonor them though. Like there's no point in getting on some social media and just saying, let's just be nasty and hateful. That is dishonoring. And so what we want to do is make sure that in all of our human relationships, and we define all the different categories and all the different uh, people groups that God says, you need to honor these people. And here's why is that we honor Not because they deserve, we can disagree with people, completely disagree with them and still give them honor. Not because they are, but because who God is and who God is in us. Everybody say, okay. So, I mean, that was tough enough. Um, So, uh, all right. So everybody do this for me. Everybody just, everybody close your eyes. Everybody take a deep breath. Yep. That was really good. I could hear the, um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of breath is going to go out right now. Yep. Um, Turn to your neighbor now. And say, you hang in there. It's going to be all right. Jesus loves you. Okay, so today what I want to talk about is, is, is this forgotten virtue of purity. 
Today, I want to talk about this issue because for, for, for many of us, again, in our culture, in our day, purity is a completely lost thing. It's forgotten. It's been abandoned. Many, like I said, many young people don't even know what that would look like or what that would mean. It is no longer in our culture. It is no longer in the water to have any We would even know like what, what it would it mean to be pure and primarily when it comes to physical and sexual purity. Like what does that even look like today? Todd, I mean, come on. And there's all these lies. There's all these myths. You've got all these excuses and reasons and justifications. And so I just need you to know that I'm going to unpack this today. And, and, and whatever this does in you, it might be uncomfortable for a minute, but that's okay. Can we just all agree we're going to wade into the uncomfortableness today? And at the end, I promise we're going to hopefully get somewhere, rediscover something, and it's going to be good for us. And we'll get to the light at the end of the tunnel. Everybody say, okay. So this idea of purity comes from, you know, we think about pure. How many of you think about like um, water and you think about like this, this like glacier, you know, this mountain peak and the snow has melted and you have this amazing crystal geyser or maybe it came up from Fiji. I don't know where you're, but it's this pure water. Or every once in a while you come across some gross stuff and it's dirty and it's got some stuff in it and it's kind of gunky or it's kind of got a greenish tint to it. And you're like, that's not, that's not what I want. That's not Avion. That is not. That is not. See, see, pure has this idea that there is, there is an untainted version, and then there's a tainted version of it, right? There's, there's a completely clean and pure version, and then there's something that's been corrupted somehow. And there are foreign substances in my Avion that makes it impure now. And, and so the idea is, is that the Bible speaks to this virtue called purity. And we're going to look at that today. Now, let me show you something real quick here. There's this, I, I love reading C.S. Lewis. He's a great guy to read if you like to read books out there. And I read this quote from C.S. Lewis. I actually read the whole chapter, but I just pulled out this one quote. And he says this about purity. He, he kind of refers to it as chastity. But if you read the whole chapter, it's purity, chastity, synonymous. Chastity is the most unpopular. Can I get it? What, what is the most unpopular of the Christian virtues? Like, in 1944, he's like, I'm going to talk about this, but nobody's going to really like this. This is, this is not popular. I will not get a lot of, of, of thumbs up on YouTube. I will not get a lot of likes on my Facebook post. This is not going over well. It, he said, there's no way of getting away from it. The Christian rule is, and he just makes it really, really clear. You either marry with complete faithfulness to your partner or else total abstinence, meaning I don't have sex unless it's inside the bonds of marriage. And now he goes, this is so difficult. This is 1944. He goes, this is so difficult and so contrary to our instincts that obviously either Christianity is wrong. Just we, we, we missed the boat. We totally misinterpreted those, you know, 500 scriptures. But, but Christianity is either wrong or, or our sexual instinct, as it now is, has gone wrong. This, this, is, this is before, like, remember the Brady Bunch, like, mom and dad slept in the same bed? And we were like, what? Mom and dad up in the same? Because I had grandparents that had two separate beds. How many of you? We're like, what? That don't even make economical sense. That... You're just wasting space. What about cuddle time? I don't even know what y'all are doing up in here. How did I even get here? So, so but th th this is before, you know, 
frankly, my dear, I don't give a blank. You know, this is before like we even like introduced sex into a media driven culture. And C.S. Lewis is back in the 40s saying, hey, something's gone wrong in our sexual drive and our sexual identity and the way that we've thought and felt. and we, we, Something's gone wrong. And I think he was predicting the future here because what he was saying was, is we're moving in a wrong direction. If you read the whole chapter, we're moving in a wrong direction and our sexuality is actually becoming more distorted. It's not getting closer and closer to God's original design. And, and he says this in the 40s, and you got to think, how far have we come since the 40s? Crap, back up. How far have we come since like the 80s? Like I remember being a little kid finding a pornographic um, book or magazine in the woods near my house, and we're like, oh my God, check this out. Ooh. And it was like, what in the world? I've, Dad never had this talk with me. And, and it was like, this was the only thing that I had my hands on for years as a little kid. Now, we live in the internet age where now, like, I know these little kids who get their parents' or grandparents' devices at the ages of five, six, seven, and eight, and they're hooked on this stuff. And you're like, how far have we fallen that this is, no, that literally the pornographic industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. I mean, it's just... It, the, hey, C.S. Lewis said this before Ashley Madison. You know, before you could be a married person and go find other dysfunctional married people that you can go hook up with. This is before Tinder and the Tinder for Adulterers app came along. This is before you could go hook up with your past ex on, on Facebook and be like, hey, what are you doing these days? This is long before all of the garbage got quite up in here. He said this in the 40s. How far have we fallen and how, how poorly have we moved in this direction? Well, here, here's something interesting. The Apostle Paul actually addresses a people group that was more sexually dysfunctional than we are. Now, some of you are like, that can't be. I promise it is. The, the, when he writes the letter to the Corinthian church, Corinth was a Greek port city. And it was incredibly pagan and incredibly sexual. I'm talking about hypersexual. These people, it, it, what, what we, it, I don't want to get into the details because it goes too far. Let's just say hypersexual perversion and we'll, we'll just stop there. And he addresses them. And what he does is so fascinating because he addresses them as a group of people that literally have no clue. It's, almost, it's not like he was talking to a religious society that had moved away. He was talking to a pagan society that literally had no clear idea of what God's original intent or God's original design for sexuality was. And this is what he says. It is so completely brilliant and insightful. I want you to read along with me. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says this. He goes, do you not know? Now, why would he say that? Because they didn't know. That's, how, that's why you're like, hey, I don't know if you know this or not. That's like the nice way of doing that. Like, hey, I'm not sure if you know this, but there's food in your teeth. You know, there's, do you not know, because you don't know, I'm just being nice, that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? And he's just like, hey, did you, did you know? He, he's so nice. He puts it in the form of a question. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
Just because I did the deed and I hooked up and I had the thing with the thing and the person and the place and all that. I mean, that's not, I didn't unite. I mean, I, I left money on the counter. I didn't unite. I mean, it was like a one night thing, but I didn't, that's not uniting. I mean, that's like what married people do. No, no, no. He goes, no, no. When you connect sexually with another human being, you're, you're uniting with them. And actually there's this, there's this other idea called oneness. Everybody say oneness. I'll, I'll prove it to you because he goes back to the Old Testament, like super old, like book of Genesis chapter two old. And he says, for it is said, the, the two will become what? One flesh. That's, that's Adam and Eve talk right there. That's, that's, that's Garden of Eden. That's, hey, I want you to know that the way that sexuality works as God has designed it is that whenever you engage in that with another human being, that you actually are uniting with them and you're creating something that God designed, which has incredible benefits, which is so awesome in its proper place, but it creates oneness between two people. And they were all like, ew. I didn't want that when I did the thing with the thing. Remember that one time in college and we had way too much to drink. And then like that's, I didn't want oneness with him. (laughs) That was a mistake. Let's keep reading. So he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to flee from sexual immorality. Now, he's talking to pagan people that had no idea, but he goes back to God's original design. He talks the idea of uniting in oneness. And he goes, so in light of that, I want you to flee from it. Like, he doesn't say, like, be strong. He doesn't say, hey, manage it. He certainly doesn't say, like, just give in with it. If it feels good, do it. You know, he doesn't say that. He says, flee, run from sexual immorality. And here's why. And this is the insightful part. This is why it's so important. And the the light that he sheds on this is huge. It has incredible ramifications. All other sin that a person commits, well, they're outside. Everybody say outside. Outside. That's outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. He said something so weird. He, 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 because you don't see this when you, you hear the Bible uh, speak to sin. There's a bunch out there, right? There's a bunch of dumb things we can do, evil things that we can do, foolish things that we can do. And he said, all those things that you can do are always external. They're, they're outside of you. But you need to know this. When you engage in sexual immorality, that you're not just out there, you're actually now in here. That there's something uniquely different about sexual sin, and it's different than ever. And it's not like this sin's gonna, you're gonna split hell wide open, all the other ones you can slip in heaven. He's not saying that. He's saying that the repercussions, the ramifications, the way that it affects you is different than the way all other sins affect. I'll prove it to you. Um, this might get uncomfortable. Um, is the whole day just gonna be uncomfortable? That's why I had you take that deep breath. I, I knew. Um, I'll, put it, I'll put it this way. Why is it that like children who are sexually abused deal with it many times in incredible amounts for the rest of their life? Why? Is it possible that it's not just something that happened to them or happened outside of them, but something actually happened inside of them? Because if not, they wouldn't struggle with it their whole lives. It would just be something that It'd be like getting, getting beat up and you just got to get over it, you know, rub some dirt on it and move on. But it doesn't. It, it, you know, and you can say, well, it's because of some of an authority figure or somebody in their life took advantage. No, that happens all the time. 
Happens, look, you parents all the time, like, blow it with your kids, right? You make promises and you don't keep them. You know, you, so, so, like, it's not that. It's something unique and something different. Hey, why, why is this? Why is it that when, if you look at the crime stats, it proves this. Why is it that when a woman is, is like, maybe beaten up, she's 10 times more likely to call and report on that than when she's sexually assaulted? And why is it that they feel that that's a shame that they need to somehow carry the rest of their life as opposed to life? Because it's different. Like if you, you get punched in the face, you seem to get over that a little bit different than when something sexual happens to you where somebody abuses you or takes advantage of you. Why, why is that? Like, like why is it that, that, that a huge percentage of people that, that you're more likely to sexually abuse somebody because you've been sexually abused? Why, 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 why is that? Is, is it possible that Paul knew what he was saying and we somehow missed the idea because, again, this goes into every arena of sexuality in the way God has designed you. There's something unique about it. There's something different about it. It happens inside of you. Here, here, here's the way I would say it is this. Is that, in essence, something happens in your soul. If you're taking notes, you need to write this down. There is a connection between your sexuality and your soul. There's a, there's a connection there. And I can't fully explain it. And I don't know where it stops and where it starts and how all, I don't, I don't know. I just know that there's a connection. And it's obvious by the scripture and then it's obvious by the way that we see its effect on people. And so because of this, Paul is giving this incredible warning. Let's keep going here. So he says, flee sexual immorality. Next scripture. He says, do you not know? He says that again. Why? Because I didn't know. Do you not know that your bodies are actually temples of the Holy Spirit? See, you need to know this. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're given really two gifts. One is the gift of salvation, but the other one is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of you. Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. I want you to think about this for a second. So he makes a defining kind of difference here. You need to know that when you come to faith in Jesus and you give your life to Jesus, you're giving him your whole life, and that includes your body, which would include your sexuality. So as, as a, now listen, if you don't believe in Jesus, you go do whatever you want and you, you, you figure that out. You have your own moral code. But as a Christ follower, you adopt this idea that, you know what, my body now is not mine, it's God's. Because he paid the ultimate price for me and he sacrificed everything for me. He gave everything for me. So in return, I give it back to him because that's the best way that I can live his abundant life. And he goes, you need to know you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor or glorify God with your body. See, I, this is the thing that Paul kind of unpacks and unbreaks, and it destroys all these different myths. Like one of the myths that we buy into, one of the lies that we believe sexually in our culture is this. It was just physical. It's just physical. That's all it is. Hey, it was a thing. It was a one night. It was a friend with benefit. It was a thing. It was a fling. It was whatever. Um, it just happened that one time. Listen, that's not what happened. There was oneness. There was uniting. There was something that, that happened between you and that person, and it happened with your soul. And there are things that you've done that have taken you outside of God's original intent and original design. It's not just physical. Something happens so much deeper than that. Like, you, you just need to know. Like, here, here's another one. Like, well, well, it's just a personal preference. That's really all it is taught. It's a personal preference. No, no, it's not. Because, listen, if it was just a personal preference, then, then we wouldn't have the same outcomes over and over and over and over. We always get the same outcomes. It always leads to the same bad results, to the same broken issues in our soul. So it's not like, it's, it's actually more like nutrition. Does that make sense? 
So it's not preference. Preference is like whether you like this or like that. No, no, it's like nutrition. If you keep eating bad things, you're going to end up with all kinds of heart issues and, and stomach problems, and you're going to have body weight. But you're going to have all this stuff. Why? Because it's, it's, it's a matter not of preference. It's just cause and effect. He, he, here's another one. And this is for all you young people out there. There's this idea out there that you need to be experienced so that you know what you're doing in life. Like, like let me just put it like Practice makes perfect. Like that's kind of the lie that you somehow need practice. Let me tell you what, okay. Adam and Eve were in the garden, bucket naked. Ain't seen nobody before ever. They figured stuff out. They're like, hey, you're naked and I'm naked. I think things go together. Let's check this out. They didn't need no prior experience. Let me tell you what. You don't need any prior experience. And I'll tell you why. Romance is not fueled by um, it, your incredible practice. Does that make sense? Your prior practice is, because if, if that logic were true, what we would all say to one another is, hey, go out and have as many sexual partners as you possibly can, because then you'll be really, really good at this thing, because that's what I want for my wife. I want her to have as many partners and sexual experiences so that, I, you know, and, and you too, I want you to go out. And, no, as a matter of fact, y'all, think, think about this. Romance is actually fueled by exclusivity. That's why we want our partner to be faithful to us. Exclusivity fuels romance. We want someone to say, you are the only one for me and I don't want anybody else but you. And I've waited and saved and been thinking about and dreaming about and now I'm ready and I didn't need a manual to figure this out. Exclusivity. And so so Paul just kind of demolishes all of these myths and lies about how your sexual identity works. He says you need to flee sexual immorality. Anything that is outside of God's design, which again, C.S. Lewis made it just real simple. It's, it's, that, it's that literally, let me, let me put it like this. Let me, let me give you an analogy. Because the church sometimes will swing too hard in the opposite direction and just say no evil, no, no bad. <laughs> let, let, me, let me help you out. I, 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 I don't do this a lot, so, so bear with me. But I brought, I brought props today. Does that make sense? Not like, the, not, what are y'all thinking about? <laughs> so, I have this belief in life that if you put enough lighter fluid on anything, it'll burn. Um, and, and, so, and so anyway, I just thought, I like a good fire. Does anybody like a good fire? I do a fire pit in my backyard sometimes. And so, I like a good fire. And so, let's just do some fire. And um, what, what the reason why fires are good is because, well, it's just cool to have outside. My kids love s'mores. So, we have like s'more night every once in a while. You might do some s'mores. And yeah, it's fun. You start, so you, you, we have a little fire pit and then we, we build the fire. I'm pretty good at building fires. I used to stink at it and I've gotten a little bit better at it. And some of y'all are nervous right now about what's, and so, but my point is, is that if you, if you build a fire, um, fire, fire is good, right? How many believe fires? How many of your little boys, little boys, fire is good. <laughs> Dig into your inner child for a second. How many believe fire is good? Right. Every little boy likes to set stuff on fire, at least Everyone that I ever knew, Peyton, don't you ever play with fire. Um, and, so, and so anyway, fi, fi, so, so just say this, fires, everybody say fire is good. Fire is awesome. We love fire. Fire, check this one out, fire has incredible purposes, right? Like, like it's dark out, you put on a fire. It's cold, you put on a fire. You need to cook stuff, put on a fire. Fire has all kinds of incredible purposes, but you know this too, because we teach our little kids this, don't touch the fire, don't touch the stove, don't, you know, like, like we have like that little fire pit and if you, you know, it gets hot and it's metal on, you're like, don't, t- don't touch that or you're going to get burned. And we know that it'll burn us because we burned ourselves, right? It only takes one time. How many of you ever uh, got burned by grabbing a, uh, an iron? 
Now, how many of you did it twice? Yeah, no, did it twice. As a matter of fact, I can know that the, the iron has been in the closet for weeks and never been touched. I grab it and I'm like, okay, good. Well, I, don't, I, have like a, I have like a thing, man. Don't, don't you touch the iron. So anyway, um, so, but, but fire should be respected, right? And then lastly, why? Because fire have it. Now, if I, if I lit this on fire, how many of y'all would leave and never come back? Y'all be like, that pastor's stupid and, and dangerous and he, you know, we're on a wooden stage. There's some wood. There's some, this, this place will go up quick. I can tell. This is like timber. And so, is Wayne here? Anyway, he's not here. Um, Wayne's the director that, that, that makes sure that we don't burn this place down. And so he doesn't know that I did this illustration. So, so but my point is, is that we believe fire is good. Well, well here's what you need to know. Like, like, we believe this is so true of like our sexuality. So you need to know like, like sex is good. When you read the Bible... Like, it's pro-sex. It's pro, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but like, not only that, but like, it has incredible purposes. Like, you're here today. I don't know if you thought about this before. The only reason you're here today, the only reason you have existence in life, it was was worth it. And so, the the Bible speaks of pleasure and enjoyment and intimacy. I mean, this, it's, it's good. Hey, but it's like fire. It should be respected. And it has its proper place. Because y'all don't want me to set this on fire right up in here. Nobody thinks it's a brilliant idea to light this thing up right here. Why? Because there's a fireplace. And there's a fire pit. And there's a place this ought to be. And there's some places this should never be. And this is the way Bible teaches and defines it. it ha- it's good. Think about this. You need, you need, God made animals and creatures and humans. And in the process of making it, at some point he stopped and was like, wait a minute, I'm going to do something crazy here. Watch this. Now, angels, y'all will never appreciate this, but just I'm going to give them something cool. And he gave them their sexuality. And he gave them the ability to be intimate. Like God came up with this. This was not an accident. This is not a, a part of our evolutionary, like certain parts just started popping out and being there and whatever. Like, no, God gave them, God designed them, God introduced it, and it was a gift. And it was good. Remember when, when God made all the things in the Bible? He'd be like, he made this and said it was what? Good. And then he made that and he said it was good. He, he made all things and he said it was good. I mean, so like, this is a part of God's design. It's good inherently, but how many know you can take a good thing and abuse it? Or you can take a good thing and put it in a bad place and all of a sudden it gets messed up. This is what we have done. And so what we have to do is unearth that forgotten virtue. What we have to do is go back and say, you know what? What if, what if we began to do what God asked of us as Christ followers and begin to lead the way in our culture to say, hey, look, this stuff still matters and it matters because God loves you and it matters because if you look at the damage and the wreckage and most of the heartache in your life, it's because you took fire and put it somewhere it didn't belong and you were using fire in a way that was never designed and somebody got burned. Somebody got hurt. Like, like why is it, we were talking about sex being just not outside of us but inside of us, why is it that most of our biggest regrets in life have to do with this? We don't, we don't regret many of the things that are outside of us. But when it comes to this, we have incredible regret that's attached to this. Sometimes we have incredible shame that's attached to this. It's because we abandoned the idea and the virtue of purity. So here's, here's what I want you to do in light of that. It's time for us to go back and unearth the, unfor- or the forgotten virtue. And we need to seek, there we go, seek 
Because there's two types of purity. Like, you need to know this. Like, there's an inward purity, and then there's an outward purity. And sometimes if you got outward purity, but you don't have inward purity, you don't got nothing. You're just mean and judgmental, usually. But the first thing that you need in life is you need a certain level of inward purity. You need to know this. Like, Jesus is giving a sermon, and he's teaching about this, and he, he starts listing off all these sins, and some of them are sexual sins. And he said, all that came from your heart. To which everybody else is like, what? See, Jesus was confirming what Paul was saying. If that stuff comes from your heart, it's not because it's just outside of you. There's something going on inside of you. And there's something in your heart that needs to become pure again. And so the first thing I want you to do is this. is The first thing is to repent. Because most of us, we didn't know. Like so many of us in this place, I'm not mad at you. God's not angry with you. And oh my God, and you'll never. And I can't believe you. And you should be ashamed. That's not what God does. So many of us in life, we had parents that were giving us pills when we were teenagers and hooking us up with this when we were teen. Like we had, we had misinformation given to us by our friends. Guys, we got some really bad information from the locker room. And so like we have all these dumb ideas from the magazine we found in the woods and the stuff we saw online. We have all these and we didn't know. Some of us just didn't know, but others of us, we knew and we couldn't control ourselves or we knew and we thought, man, that's for old fogies, or that's, for, that's ancient of days right there. And I'm telling you what, we need to repent. Now notice, I don't want you to feel shame. I want you to know that Jesus has the ability to not just forgive you. The Bible says that he forgives you and cleanses you of all unrighteousness. That there is no shame with Jesus about what you've done, your past. Like when you come to him, he washes it all away. But it's triggered by this idea of repenting. And repenting just means I'm going to change my mind. And I'm going to make a change in how I do things. And I need to repent. Number two is this, is I need to renew my mind. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you just walk out of here and all you got is, well, I can't have sex. Um, then, then you missed the whole point of today. Because the whole point of the day was to show you how your sexuality works and that it's important to God and that it's not just something that's physical, but it's something that's connected to who you are at the deepest levels of your soul. And that's why it has ramifications. And put in its proper place, it's a beautiful and amazing and a good thing. And the only way that you're going to be convinced is to change the way that you think and renew the way that you think. And then lastly, at some point, you're going to have to say, okay, God, I'm going to make a brand new commitment to your standard. Like your standard is the standard. As a matter of fact, listen to this. Psalms 119 verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Man, that's just the question right there, isn't it? Just so you know, this isn't just for young people. This is across the board. But how do you stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Like at some point, we just have to say, God, I was wrong and I want to change and I need to change the way that I think. And I am going to make a new standard in my life. And this is the new standard. And I want to commit that to you, God. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your what? Commands. Like your new standards. I have hidden your word in my what? Why? Because this thing is not just about outside. This is about an inside thing. And I need to seek inward purity. Next, not only do we seek inward purity, then at some point we, we begin to seek outward purity. You, you need this. Like, like one of the things that you do have to do in terms of seeking outward purity, <laughs> you have to set boundaries. See, because here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about human nature. This is why Paul said flee sexual immorality. It's because we can go ahead and repent, and we can even say, God, I'm going to do it different. I'm going to go out of here and be different, and we can even begin to renew our mind. But what's going to happen is this, is if you put yourself 
with the wrong person in the wrong place. And there's some, there's some candles lit. And I had a glass of wine. And Marvin Gaye, gosh, he has a sexy voice. And man, this guy has a job. I don't think I can resist. If, if you need to set some boundaries, because like there's the command that says don't, but then wisdom backs up and says, okay, let's set some boundaries. It's almost like this. It's almost as if God's commands are the highway or the path. Remember the path to purity is what, what David said in Psalms 119. There's a path. But how many of you know that like when you go through dangerous roads and you're going around mountains and you got all this stuff around you, that when you really drive in a good place on the mountains, what is there next to the road? Y'all don't drive through the mountains, do you? Guardrails, thank you, one person, thank you. Y'all are with me still, right? There's guardrails. So, so the path is God's command. But wisdom says, hey, sometimes you lose sight and you just get to look at a goat and you get distracted. And then you start veering off because you lean where you look. And I don't want you to fall off a cliff because I want you to stay on the path. And so the path is God's command, but the wisdom is the guardrail. And at some point, we need to establish some boundaries and some guardrails that just say, hey, look, I know because of me, because I don't have the power or the strength, because the Bible never subscribes or prescribes, hey, just be strong. It doesn't. It says run away. Like, get out of there. So I need to set some boundaries so that I don't ever get there, so I don't have as many places to flee and run from. And so for some of us, we need to kill our social media outlets. Some of us need to kill some of the things that we have around us. Some of us need to, like, choose who, like, who we're going to date and how we're going to Boundaries. Number two is this, is we need to maintain proper relationships. Now, this is huge, and I'll tell you why. There's two main reasons. If you're, if you're single in here, this goes so obvious into the people that you hang out with and their values are more likely to become your values. Not only that, if you're single, the people that you date are going to have an incredible influence on you. And if you want to stay sexually pure, but the person that you want to date doesn't, good luck with that. That's not what the Bible would ever say. The Bible would say that if you want to be wise, you walk with the wise. But if you want to have destruction in your life, just walk around with idiots. That's a quote. That's Proverbs 18, 22, I think. So, so that's a little paraphrase, but it's, it's, it's close. Why are y'all laughing at me? No, look that up. That's really... I'm not even, I'm not even going to look it up. Listen, the, the, the point is this, is that you need great relationships around you. Now, listen, this is true if you're married. Do you know that the majority of adulterous affairs that happened with, with marriage, it didn't come from Ashley Madison. Usually it came from people that you were close to and people that you already had previous relationships with. And so because you had people that didn't share your values and you had coworkers and friends and buddies and whatever that, that didn't, and then all of a sudden you get too close and this because I'm telling you what, if you're the godliest person you know, you're in trouble. Let me put it like that. You need great friendships that encourage you, inspire you, that even challenge you and convict you, but that are never going to cross these lines to help you because you in and of yourself don't have the strength anyway. And then lastly is this. Y'all are going to really love this one. We need to practice modesty. Like the Bible speaks to the idea of modesty. We live in a culture where it seems like really cool right now to have your butt cheeks hanging out of your shorts. And that's not modesty, people. Yeah, it got... And if you're buying this stuff for your kids, that's on you. So at some point, you need to practice modesty. I'll, I'll prove it to you. First Timothy chapter 9 says this. As I also want, this is, he's talking to women, but this goes for men too. Y'all shouldn't be wearing midras and, and tanky tops. And don't be wearing your John Stockton basketball shorts. That's too much for the ladies, okay? Stop it. 
I'll tell you why it's, I'll tell you, it's not a sexist thing that, that, that he addresses women. I'll tell you why. It's because men, by and large, are visually stimulated and visually driven to a hundred times more than what women are. So when it comes to modesty, we're talking about what you put out there. Does that make sense, ladies? So don't, don't put it out there. Anyway, I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now, it says some other stuff too, but, but like he's addressing like, hey, be mindful of, be thoughtful of. Ladies, if you're single, be, be, okay, be really, really aware of this. What you put out there and the way that you put it out there is going to dictate who you attract. So if you keep dating and you keep wondering, why, is, why do the guys I date, why are they such losers? Why are they idiots? Or why do they take advantage of me? Why do I? It's because that's what you're attracting more than likely because that's what you're putting out there. Yeah, I just said that. So... So at some point, you need to say, look, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. And so there needs to be a level of outward purity that, that actually puts my modesty on display, not all the skin that I can put out there. Are you hearing me? Like right now, like I remember we were at, the, we were at a, a, a thing not too long ago. We were at a pool. And now the, the new thing is, is I need a, a bathing suit that doesn't cover my butt, but it's like a half butt cheek kind of. Okay, that's not you. If you're a Christ follower, we need to have more. Y'all, y'all don't know what I'm talking about? Thank you, ladies. Yeah, it's, I don't want to like demonstrate, but like it's like, it's not a thong, but it's not a, it's, it's in the middle. Why do you got to make your pastor explain stuff like this? Let's close. I'm over time. I'm telling you what, there is this virtue called purity. And the reason why, the reason why God cares so much about purity is because he loves you so dearly. And he wants to make sure that he heals and cleanses and forgives the impurity of your past. But he so wants you to make a decision today to change the future and, and the outcome and the trajectory of your life. I'm telling you, it's because God loves you. God doesn't want you to live with all the headache and the pain, the burden and all that comes with that. God wants you to trust him as your heavenly father. And say, okay, God, if this, is your, if this is your path and this is your way, then I want to trust you and do it your way and believe that God's going to reward you with something incredible because you do. Because here's what you need to know. Like purity paves the way for intimacy. Like you, you need to know this. Like, intim- like, like think about this. God wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And the reason why that seems like a foreign idea and you can't find any intimacy and genuine relationship with God is because for most of us, our intimacy app is broken. We don't have the ability to connect intimately anymore because of how we think and see and how the culture has influenced us. And so like it it paves the, the way for intimacy with your relationship with God. But hey, it paves the way for intimacy with your marriage and your future marriage for those of you who are single. And what I know is this, is that God wants you to have the most abundant and wonderful and blessed marriage possible. And the answer is not, go do everything that the world says. Go experiment with this, try this, practice a ton. It's only physical. He says, no, don't believe the lie of culture. Know this, that your purity matters. Because it paves the way for intimacy. So, I'll close with this. Today... You kind of get to make a decision. You can say, Todd, look, I appreciate your attempt. The fire thing was cute. That's great. But let's be real here. I mean, I'm just going to keep doing my own thing. And you can, you can do that. But you'll have missed something powerful in your life. And you'll be rejecting God's ways for your life. And you can keep going on doing it, but, but you're going to have a story to tell. 
to your future kids, your future grandkids, to your future spouse, you, you know, the, the future you, when you deal with all the pain and the heartache and the headache and all that comes along with it, you're going to have a story to tell. Or, or your story could be something like this. Your story could be something incredible. Your story could be, hey, look, you know, there was a guy one day and I was at a church and it was a sermon and he tried to do a fire thing, and, but, but he challenged me on the idea of purity. And I made a decision that day that I would at least begin to move in God's directions and I would begin to trust God. And I would repent. I would say, God, you know what? I didn't, I didn't know. I was like pegging people. In I just didn't know. Mom didn't teach me and I didn't know that that wasn't okay. And I'm wrong. And I'm sorry. And God, I want to renew my mind and I want to start changing some of my behaviors and I want to change the purity of my heart, but even the, the purity outside of me, God, I want to do things differently. And one day you're going to have a different story to tell. And it's going to be a story worth telling. It's going to be a story that creates so much intimacy in your future relationship and sets up, I'm telling you what, future generations to come because of the decision that you make today because you can't change the past. And I don't want you to be ashamed of it. I want you to change your future because you choose today to say, God, I want purity back in my life and not just for me, but for my future marriage, my current marriage, for my children to come. I want this powerful thing called purity in my life. Let's pray today. God, what will be our story depends now on how we just decide to respond to you. And so, God, I pray that every person here within the sound of my voice would just say, God, you know what? I want to have that in my life. I want to choose your way and not my way. I want to choose the path that leads to peace and, and blessing, not the one that leads to pain and heartache. And so today, for some of you today, like right now even, you need to repent. For those of you, who you you're, you're married and you know you've got stuff and you're seeing stuff and a part of stuff and you know you need to repent and change right now. You're single out there and you know you've been on a path and you need to change and repent right now. Just literally to say you change your mind. You come to God and say, I was wrong and I need, to do, I need your help. I need your strength. I, I want to do it your way. From this point forward, to make a decision to change the way we think and see the world around us. To make a commitment to a new way of living. Which I promise you is this. It's ultimately God's best. It is his abundant life. And so, God, this is not the easiest thing in the world to do. And so, God, I ask for your strength and your courage. We're going to have to make some tough decisions, maybe make some changes in who we date and how we date. Give us the courage. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to actually pull it off and do it, Lord. God, that is our prayer today. In Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.